the, the beauty of what we do is we really bring two humans together. It just hit a point where it just started growing. Uh, and it felt like there's a there's something happening here and, and, and we need to make more of this stuff. You're listening to The Growth Show. I'm Kip Bodner, CMO at HubSpot, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Kira Wampler, CMO of Lyft, one of the fastest-growing ride-sharing apps on the market today. Kira, really appreciate that you're taking the time out of your busy day to join us. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. So for folks that might not know Lyft and, and what the business is and what, what the work is you're doing, can you give us a little background on the company? So, um, so Lyft is an on-demand transportation um, app and, and experience. So um, you download the app to your phone, and you request a ride, a car uh, arrives within you know, a short few minutes, um, and driven by, uh, by one of our very friendly local drivers. Um, a little bit of our company background, so our founders, John and Logan, have actually been obsessed with improving transportation for uh, more than a decade. Logan grew up in L.A., um, traumatized by traffic, as he likes to say, um, and began his career thinking about transportation as the first and youngest um, member of the Board of Transportation at the, um, in Santa Barbara County when he was an undergrad. Um, he and John founded a company uh, called Zimride um, many years ago that was um, ride-sharing but for long-distance rides. And then they changed uh, Zimride into Lyft just over three years ago. So really from their point of view, Zimride was going extremely well um, but wasn't having the kind of fundamental change on um, cities and on transportation that they that they set out and had intended to um, to bring to life. And so the reason why they moved to Lyft um, into an on-demand space was really about tapping into um, your everyday rides. And first and foremost, doing that with making it easy for people who have a car to share rides with people who need it. So we were the first to do peer-to-peer ride sharing. And and then, you know, other competitors followed a few months later. Uh, So we've been uh, innovating in the ride sharing space um, for many, many years. And the Lyft brand has been around for about three and a half. So you mentioned the Lyft brand. I'm really excited to have a marketer on the, the, the show because we, we have folks from all walks of, of business here talking about growth, but we get to geek out a little bit about marketing today. What strikes me is the Lyft brand is really quirky. You've got some really interesting rituals. You've got the fist bump. You've got like the, the pink mustache. Like, Tell me a little bit more about your, the strategy behind that brand and how it impacts the success of the company. Sure. So, so what I'd say is that a few of the things you noted, particularly the fist bump, um, were more of the the early days rituals. And um, I'd say, you know, today uh, we we certainly don't force peace, people to fist bump mm-hmm. unless they want. Um, and and the original intention of the mustache um, was because we were the first to do peer to peer car sharing, and so it was not common to have an everyday car pull up, and that 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 was going to be the car you were going to get in. So the mustache, the, the role of the mustache was to be a car identifier, to know that to know that, it, that this is your car. Um, about almost a year ago now, we rebranded um, the company and we really up-leveled the sophistication of, of some of the elements of the brand and in particular um, moved to the glow stash, 
So it's in the car versus being outside of the car. Um, it's small and very sophisticated and an illuminated sort of magenta shape. And so serving its purpose as, um, as the in-car identifier, um, but, not, but, but also being something that lasts well in a market like Boston or lasts well in a market where it could be really hot or really rainy, um, which, which wasn't necessarily the case for the sort of the first round of mustaches. But I think sort of clicking back, you know, so I guess the, the sh first part of the question is we've evolved a lot as a brand from the early days. Um, but I think what we've held on to is this idea that um, it, it is this idea of humanity, right? So as much as we are a technology platform, right, we're a mobile app, we have hundreds of engineers who work on extremely sophisticated um, algorithms and code and, I mean, really, really tough problems to match supply and demand in every local market across 150 plus cities. I mean, it's hard work technically, but the, the, the beauty of what we do is we really bring two humans together or multiple humans together in the case of a lift line. And those early rituals, um, especially the front seat, which I think is, is really the, was the core ritual, um, was, wasn't about necessarily the front seat, but was really about communicating the fact that the, the person driving the car isn't your private driver. It's not a servant. It's another human to whom and with whom you will treat with dignity and respect and vice versa. And so what's so interesting about that is that eight out of 10 drivers who drive on both platforms prefer driving for Lyft. And the number one reason they prefer driving for Lyft, it can be summed up as we treat you better. And what that means is not only does Lyft treat drivers better, passengers treat drivers better, and then in turn, drivers treat passengers better. And, and that's huge, right? Because really what's going on is, you know, if you step back as a marketer, I mean, we're doing the hardest thing possible, which is trying to change behavior. So what that means is that we're encouraging people to get in a car with a stranger, and we're encouraging people to drive strangers. And 80% of our drivers are not professional drivers. You know, we didn't start out with thinking about, hey, there are these people driving town cars and black cars who are underutilized, so how do we better use their time? We started out with, we want to fundamentally change transportation. So we, we attract um, a, t a type of driver who would never consider themselves a driver. And we're able to do that because we don't treat them like a driver. We treat them like humans. Okay, so there's a, there, to me there were a few really, really interesting uh, aspects to that response. The first one I want to kind of try, dive into is you use the word humans a lot, and it seems like that's a key attribute to the brand and a key attribute to the work that you're doing. Uh, am I picking up on that? Is that is that something that you guys really Absolutely. prioritize? Yep. Yeah, we talk a lot about um, uh, bringing together, uniting technology and humanity. It's it's our sort of everyday uh, mission. Got it. Okay. So so it's interesting. Really, an awesome point of differentiation. You also talked a little bit about competition, and you, we've got a lot of companies out there that face competition every day. How do you balance? Uh, understanding what competition is doing versus focusing on, uh, you know, the stuff you can control, the execution of your marketing, the execution of the business. Yeah, I, I mean, I you know, look, I think we're we're in an extremely interesting time for ride sharing. I like to describe this as sort of the first inning of what will likely be a, a very long baseball game, um, <laughs> and that a lot of what you know the various competitors are doing is really shaping 
in the category. So of course we have to, and we do stay true to our vision and our mission and, and our goals. And we also have to pay attention to what's going on in the marketplace. Um, I mean, I think for us, you know, it's very clear that we're competing. We're not, we're not competing for something that you do once a month or once every few months. I mean, we're, we're legitimately competing for something you do multiple times a day. I think what we, we look at the, what I would say, like sort of share of transportation wallet as not just us versus, um, versus Uber, or us versus a taxi, actually we think about it in a much broader sense which is which is primarily about us versus your car i mean our our mission in life our vision is is to fundamentally change car culture and replace the need for a car and so that means that we think about you know people um who sit in their car and commute all day right who do it in the morning and in the afternoon and in fact there are something like 1.4 trillion commute rides that happen a week and 87% of those rides are, are people driving their car by themselves. Now, I, I don't know what it's like where you live, but I can tell you that I, it takes me sometimes 45 to 50 minutes to go 15 miles here in San Francisco, which is totally crazy. Um, and with the work that we're trying to do, you know, we, we, are, we are trying to make that traffic virtually disappear. So, of course, we have to be aware of what our direct competitor is doing, but we think a lot about um, what does it mean to not have to own a car what would your world look like if you commuted every day using Lyft? Um, what does your world look like? I mean, right now, 20% of our rides start and end at transit. So we are very much becoming a first mile, last mile um, uh, solution. And, uh, and, and so we have to think a lot both at the level of product and marketing um, around what, what, is that, what does that experience need to be for us to win that ride every day um, versus winning occasional rides. You were talking to somebody who uh, is your dream realized. I do not own a car. Um, right. I'm hanging out in Boston today, and it's going to rain basically in a minute, any minute now. So I'll be taking a lift, you know, from the mile from my office to my house. So it's going to be. Uh, I personally love this new world, but it's. Yeah. You're right that it's very transformed, and I think a lot of people listening have a product or a service that is a transformational thing. It is getting somebody to do something new. Talk to me a little bit about how you think about scaling the marketing and the business in, in this really rapid growth culture that you're in. Sure. I, I mean, I think at a, at a general level, um, what, what you actually do is you start with the things that you're not really sure if they can scale to figure out quickly if they're important or not. And then if they're important, then you spend some time figuring out how they scale. And so the example that I'll use um, at Lyft is um, is how we onboard drivers. So in the very early days, John and Logan met every single driver before they were on the platform. Um, you know, here in San Francisco. Now, obviously, that meant that our drivers were unbelievably high quality. And in fact, I still ride with some of those folks today in San Francisco, and it's a real treat. And um, but clearly, that's not something that's going to scale with John and Logan. But what they realized is absolutely critical is that in-person experience with a driver before they're approved to be part of the platform is a critical step, not only for us uh, from a quality perspective, but also for the driver. And because what happens, and this happens now today with, um, with mentors, and um, so our top 10% of drivers in all of our markets um, are, uh, are, can have the opportunity to become mentors they do a mentor session with um, with new potential Lyft drivers. 
they do the 17-point vehicle inspection, they review documents, they go on a practice ride, um, and the mentor has the right to say yes or no about that person becoming part of the platform. So it's a really strong reinforcement um, from a quality safety uh, perspective and from a culture perspective. You know, we get asked this question all the time, like if community and culture and humanity are, you know, core differentiators for you, I mean, we constantly get this question largely from people who are finance only, mm-hmm. you know, how do you scale that? And I was like, well, like we're awash in, in worlds of brands that have scaled their cultures and you just figure out the way that you scale it. And for us, the mentor approach um, has been a big part of that because not only does the mentor have a yay or nay, but when the mentor is going through the mentor session, this is when they're sort of passing along, right? Um, our culture, our vision, our mission, what's important to us um, and what's important to be, you know, a member of the Lyft community in, in that local market. So, so I think, you know, stepping back, I mean, what, first you've got to understand what's important to you. And of the things that are important to you, then as you scale, the job is to figure out how do you scale it. Um, I think sometimes people just assume that you need to scale everything um, or that you need to scale everything equally. And that's not, not, necessarily, that's not necessarily the case. But I think for us in, in this instance, um, you know, starting with that core, like we, we believe in the importance of the human driving the car and the, the kind of person that we want to have driving the car who treats other people really well knowing that we can't scale John and Logan, but how could we scale it? I think it's been a big, a big key to our success. Do you have a crazy story about a lucky break you had or a comeback story in business? We'd love to hear about it. Record a voice memo on your phone, send it to growthshow at hubspot.com with your name, and you could be featured on a future episode. What I'd love to learn a little bit more, we've got a lot of marketers, a lot of executives listening in on the show, and I know that they'd love to get a little insight on how you think about structuring your team. So you have a fast-growing marketing team at a really high-growth company. How do you think about kind of functionally organizing those folks? Yeah, I mean, I I actually try to keep keep it simple. Um, so I my team is, is structured very much um, uh, functionally funnel from top down. So and the comms organization uh, at the top of the funnel, the, the brand organization and creative design, which supports kind of the entire company's um, set of, of creative needs, uh, product marketing, local marketing, which as you can imagine is extremely important to us, especially as we build out um, GMs across all of our markets, um, acquisition and engagement. And so I try to keep the structure pretty um pretty simple um, because it's a complex business, right? So we've got general managers on the ground in local markets, and we partner very closely with the operations team, uh, which focuses uh, very heavily on the driver. My team focuses very heavily on passenger growth, though about half my team at any given time is supporting driver growth. Um, So we've got some complexity under the hood, which is why I try to keep the the structure itself uh, pretty simple. You've worked at a bunch of high growth companies. You've, you've, kept the team structure simple. Do you have any, what are your words of wisdom for folks listening who need to hire marketers and build that great team? You've just provided a really great framework, but what do you look for when you're bringing people onto the team? 
Yeah, I mean, I'd say probably one of the most important things I look for, and this is this is uh, particularly true at the leadership level, but because I have a strong point of view that everyone is a leader, it's true across the org. I am definitely looking for. I, I describe people them. I describe these folks as player coaches. So people who are fabulous at doing and at the same time are great at leading and building and, and developing the strategy. Because in, in, in these high growth contexts, I mean, you really have to be hiring for like what the next three years is going to look like in the next six months, <laughs> <laughs> you know, right? Because of the way, and which, which means there's a lot of uncertainty. And so you've got to have people who are comfortable with I, I'm sorry to swear, but like getting shit done, you know, love to execute, um, are really jazzed about execution and at the same time are excited about being coaches. Um, so like, you know, can build a vision for, you know, like Brandon on our, in our comms organization can build a vision for, um, what we, what kind of message we want to, to make sure is out in, in the marketplace. How do we get that message out? How do we retain the quality when we get it out? Who do we need on the team? And at the same time, Brandon is talking to reporters himself, right? So, um, and writing, you know, speeches. I mean, he's he is definitely a definition of a player coach. You know, Jesse McMillan, who's our creative director, he joined us from Virgin about a year ago, and absolutely, you know, a, a player coach. I mean, he's one of the most talented individual designers in the world, and yet at the same time has built up a, a team of absolute world-class designers, writers, producers, um, videographers, et cetera. So I, I think that like really having that strong point of view on player coach is critical um, because you're going to need to do a lot. I mean, I write copies sometimes, right? Like, I mean, you're going to need to be a doer at the same time that you need to be the person thinking about the strategy, mulling through a competitive issue, thinking about a regulatory environment, building out our team as we grow the organization. You've got you've to be able to do both. I think from our experience, what we've seen at HubSpot and other other companies that are from our customer base is that people move on from a manager who, when that manager doesn't have a sense of what it's like to do their job, and doesn't have the or doesn't have the ability to do their job, and so the player coach model is dead on in making sure that everybody knows that the leadership is also capable of being an individual contributor, which is a, a hugely important model. Uh, totally, totally agree with that. So a couple of fun questions. We're we're getting getting near the end of the show. I wanted to talk a little bit about. Let's talk about your desk. If if, if I were walking through the lift office right now, checking out your desk, what would I say? Like, how how would somebody describe your work area? <laughs> I don't think you wouldn't even know that it's mine. It's probably. <laughs> the, <laughs> I'm so I'm so rarely at my desk. I think that's probably the best. That's probably the best way to describe it. Um, I've got a cute, I, I think probably one of the things that you would see is I have a really cute, my kids were in over the summer, um, and I have a really cute picture that says uh, lift rocks from my daughter that's you know sitting on my um, sitting on my desk. But yeah, I, I'd say probably the number one thing you'd notice is that I'm never there. <laughs> uh, so we'll describe it as vacant. That's awesome. And so uh, we'll use, so you said you have daughters. Uh, I have I, I have a four week old uh, son. I'm very very excited about Bo. And how do you explain marketing to your kids? You know, you know. I think everybody listening to this podcast is also parents and and, and everything else. How do you help your your daughters understand marketing and business? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so I have a son and a daughter, and nice. and I would say with, with both of them, um, 
you know, what I, what I always say about marketing is that you're, you're setting expectations for people such that they want to participate with you. And that means that they're going to participate with you with either their time or their money and hopefully both. Right. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's funny, my daughter is a Girl Scout and she, um, she's, she had an extremely successful Girl Scout sale here at Lyft, uh, last year. So she's excited uh, to do that again. Um, and she's working on with a couple of other, the Girl Scouts, you know, selling and marketing a meal and then the sale of the meal, the, the money will go to a charity. And, and what's interesting is I, I think instead of trying to like define this like very high level, what marketing is, it's all about what you do every day. So I asked the girls, they were, they had decided that they were going to make flyers and they only need to get one family. And so I asked, well, how many families do you think you need to, you know, how many mailboxes do you think you need to a flyer for one family to say yes? And my daughter was like, hmm, I think maybe 10. And I was like, hmm, a 10% conversion rate. Yes, not bad. Um, and so I, I think it's really about what they what they do and how you bring to life um, some of these core ideas that then help them think about, um, you know, think about how these, these business um, skills can then translate to some of the things, you know, some of the things you're doing. So she had, they had a checklist of everything that needed to be on a flyer. They brainstormed the checklist. It was actually really cute. And then they made their flyers. They embellished the flyers because then the flyers would stand out more in the mailbox. You know, these were all their own, you know, all their own ideas. But then I think what you can do is, is help them see how these ideas that they've come up with are things that can translate into, you know, this is what mommy does when, um, you know, we're, we're making an ad move instead of making an ad static, or this is what, you know, mommy does when we're thinking about how many people we would send an email to because we want a certain number of those people to respond. <laughs> That's awesome. I feel like you, once you're done in marketing, you're going to be a children's book author, like marketing theme, like conversion rate for kids. I can, I can, <laughs> I can see like a great series of, uh, of, of marketing theme children's books. I would totally buy them for my son. Uh, that's, that's pretty fantastic. Kira, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. It's been really valuable, really awesome insight into the rapid rise of Lyft, as well as how you think about scaling a transformative brand like you have been. So I really appreciate your time today. And to everybody listening, thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you know someone who enjoyed this episode, please share our iTunes link with them. Uh, And until next time, we'll see you on The Growth Show. Thank you. Thanks, Kira.